0: Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. Try not to cry, another absolute heartbreaker at Heinz Field as the Ravens fall to the Steelers. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul and I am once again joined by all of my friends, all of them who I met on the internet, Ian Domain, Shane Richmond, James Ogden and Ben Mortimer. Those names are in a different order. Wow, that's really confusing. Okay, <laughs> we're all back together. The band's back together. James, you have a very nice time in America.
1: I had a wonderful time in America. Thanks, Gaz. It was fantastic.
2: And Ben, how about your trip? Uh, also had a, had a fantastic time in America so thanks for asking but I think me and James ran into each other and uh, had a nice uh, well I had a daiquiri what did you have in New Orleans you had a beer didn't you I think it
0: was just a beer yeah
2: it was a big it was a big daiquiri as well so it, it lasted me for two hours
0: <laughs> a beer and a daiquiri that sounds like a, a lovely time Shane how are you this week
3: I'm doing okay thank you
0: I'm fighting a bout of the man flu. I'm not sure if you can hear it. I can hear it in my own voice, but I don't know if that's because I'm a bit nasally. Um, man flu is currently winning. Ian, how are you? I'm good, guys. Yeah, I'm.
4: Uh, I'm glad we're recording this podcast slightly later in the week than usual because, sort of Monday, Tuesday time, I was. I was really reeling, but I've. I've calmed down a bit now. We're back on track, and I'm yeah happy to be with you guys. I just say how uh, this, again, terrible for a podcast, but Ben's looking so relaxed tonight. He's usually in his office. He's not tonight. And it, it just looks superb.
2: Oh, thanks. I am pretty chilled.
0: Yes, we are recording on Wednesday evening instead of our usual Tuesday evening slot. So you will get this podcast a little bit later on Thursday. We'll try and have it with you first thing in the morning, but it's probably no point telling you that because it's going to be too late because you're already listening to it. So with that in mind, let's jump into the game with you. A 20-19 to 19 defeat by the Steelers at Heinz Field in what was a crushing, crushing game. Shane, I'll come to you first. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. What is going on with Lamar Jackson?
3: Well, that's a good question. Um, something is clearly not working, is it? And it's hard to tell what it is. Does he not trust the plays that are coming in? Does he not trust the offensive line? Is he just a little bit skittish for some reason? Is there something else going on we don't know about? Some kind of lingering injury or something? It seems like he's trying to make an incredible play every time he gets hold of the ball. Um And he's holding onto the ball too long, he's waiting for something to develop, and often it doesn't. Um, And it's that that kind of thing makes me think that he doesn't trust the players around him. He's kind of figuring that unless he does something superhuman, the offense isn't going to get it done. But there are a lot of instances on Sunday where we would have been better off if he just got the ball out quick, just kept the tempo moving, uh, and just chilled out a little bit but he's yeah he's extending plays too much to to no real benefit for some reason
1: I think I think you hit the nail on the head there Shane it's like I think he's there's almost like a mixture of he's remembering earlier in the season when he did have to do everything to win games although to be fair you know through a lot of those games if you remember early really early in the season he was he was throwing for a lot of yards and was and was trusting his receivers and and um and getting it done through the air so i think that's that sort of plays into it i think the fact that he has been responsible for a, for a lot of mistakes recently and and he's trying hard to make up for those he he's just not hitting i went back and watched the tape of this one because i was i was intrigued to see what where it was and i think it you, like i said you, i think you just hit the nail on the head about him trying to do too much you know he's he's not taking that the, the the interception in the first quarter was a classic example where you know Hollywood comes across the across the the formation on on the hot route for for if the blitz is coming he he should be checking it down to Hollywood he decides not to he decides to hold it and try and find a, a bit more of a of a hero play um and can't do it and some of that might be you know mindset from you know, some the Miami game getting into his psyche where he was checking it down and it wasn't uh, when he was facing the blitz and it wasn't getting them anywhere. Uh, So I think, I think there's, there's a numerous factors going into it, but he's, he's just, he's missing throws because he's not, he's not hitting his timing. You know, there are plenty of throws in that Ravens offense where he's supposed to hit his back foot and hit Rashad Bateman on a comeback. Um, And that's a timing route. You have to do it when you hit, when you hit your back foot as a quarterback. And he's just not doing, he's not doing that. He's missing those throws. He's not even missing them. He's not attempting them. So I think there's a load of stuff going into it. He's just not at his best right now. I am not willing to have a real like knee jerk reaction to it. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be fine, but right now a lot of things are conspiring to mean he's, he's just not at his best. We
4: we don't know how much this mystery illness, whatever it is, is still, still lingering and and affecting him. But anyone that saw the, the, the injury reports last, last week, they were like the back of a sort of bands t-shirt or something, weren't they? (laughs) All the names on the back. It was, they were so long and, Lamar's not practicing he's missed he's missed a lot of practice time this year and then an awful lot of the receivers aren't practicing as well so it's all well and good them saying you know we're working against this stuff every day well you're probably not because it's Tyler Huntley throwing to you know James Prochet in practice Um, so it's it's really difficult especially this late in the season with all the injuries that the Ravens keep picking up as well
0: and that's that first pick came off the back of actually what felt like a really good start to the game the ravens were driving and in hindsight we now know towards the end of the game had we taken three points away there we'd, we sat in a much more comfortable position at the end of the game and as you guys say it's just trying to it's just rushing it it's just rather than taking the three there and living to fight another down it's just pushing it too much and yeah, it could be with what you guys are saying, is he in his own head now?
2: I think that touchdown, or uh, well not the touchdown, the the interception on the first drive um, may have been an element of heralding back to the previous week against Cleveland as well, where he was, you know, had Garrett in his face, um, and he made at the time what was you know, described by Collinsworth as you know sort of miracle play. He had his hand shaken. <clears throat> that may have been in his mind on that first drive because there was confidence and that we were moving well. And it seems that when. Sometimes Lamar makes an early error in a game. It takes him a long time to recover or get it out of his head. Um, some QBs can shake off a play and basically like a golfer move on to the next shot and execute. Whereas um, I think I agree with everything you said about him trying too hard, and I think plays like that can throw him off in a game sometimes, and it can bring back the demons from the earlier um, bad performances in the season. Where you, know, you correctly say that you know early on in the year um, he, he was despite the fact that he didn't have really have a settled defensive line, he was still able to sit back, make his reads, and also get his timing right. And It, 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 it seems that he's regressed on his mechanics as well uh, when it does come to actually make... There are more errant throws now than there were early in the year where we were all talking about how much his accuracy had improved. And also there was some concerning missed receivers that were pretty much wide open if he just took a second to look rather than... To basically, have a predetermined idea in his head of how he was going to make fifteen yards. So um, it's it, hopefully he can sit down and they can just chill, make, it, make him chill, and say, uh, you know, the, the cliche of take what the defense give you, um, and he can go in with that mindset. But uh, it's again, I agree, it's, not, it's, it's too early to panic. But it was definitely a very, very, very poor performance from him.
3: There's some tempo issues as well with this offense. I think in in him. Holding the ball too long is, is one of those, but it's also frustrating that they don't seem able to get to the line with more than six seconds on the play clock, and he needs to be able to get up to the line, look at the defence, have a plan for what the defence is going to do based on, you know, where who's showing blitz, where he's going to go with the ball and so on. And very often they seem to be rushing to get the ball off, and then he's holding the ball too long once it snaps and the play is taking too long to develop the the whole sort of rhythm and temper of the offense seems to be off
1: one thing as well that must be in his mind i think is that we is that the ravens are not beating people deep currently they're not they're not hitting on deep throws and one of the one of the things you watch if you watch back the tape is you see i just watched the browns um take back this morning and you see a free safety just just sit on on the on the underneath routes they're just there's no fear of anything over the top and so i think that's also in his head of making you know he wants to make one of those deep deep completions just to start making some of those safeties a little more honest um so that they're not not coming up and cheating on those underneath routes all the time so that's definitely something that i think will be in his head as well that that's probably and making him hold the ball a bit too much sometimes just something else i wanted to add
0: So for another week the Ravens offense has come out pitifully slow not scored in the first quarter again I think it's dating back to early October the last time actually put any last time the Ravens actually put points on the board in October but then James what changed then to then come out in the second quarter and have a night 94 yard 16 play drive which ended up in Devonta Freeman in the end zone (laughs)
1: <laughs> i mean greg roman went into the vault was what happened <laughs> um the infamous vault now i don't there were some there were they put together obviously a, a brilliant drive there and i do i do think roman did, did did add some stuff um this week uh there's been a lot of talk of how greg roman is <laughs> i've i've heard i've seen stuff about greg roman should be out we're not spreading the ball around like, well it's not entirely Greg Roman's job to spread the ball around the offense. So I'm not sure, really sure why we're calling for his head. I, I think um, they did seem to, to have some, have some great answers for that Steelers defense on that drive. They, they really kept them off balance with the running game. I felt they mixed up the running game really well because the Steelers actually do pretty well against them. Um, our normal blocking scheme against the man sort of gap blocking scheme. They're, they're pretty good at defending that. So they did mix up, mix up, mix in some different types of runs and um, just got them completely off balance through that entire drive. But, I mean, that was it, really, wasn't it? There was, until the last drive, that was the last time we saw the offense function.
0: Ian, I'm sure you'll love that Freeman run. I think I saw you... Who was on the Twitter? Someone was going mad over the Freeman run. <laughs> that, we well, that, I was doing Twitter. Was Shane, Shane was on Twitter, yeah.
3: <laughs> it's, um, yeah, Freeman, Freeman played pretty well, I think. the The problem with the running game now is that it's kind of boom and bust. It's either... Freeman getting a good solid gain and putting them in a in a good position, all getting stuffed at the line. And running games function better if you are getting steady, consistent yardage down after down after down. Uh, I think Football Outsiders have done analysis on this, that it's it doesn't actually help you that much to to be getting, you know, the odd eight or nine yard run and then keep getting stuffed. So that seems to be the issue at the moment. But there certainly were points when, Freeman looked confident running that, um, uh, running those plays, which he hasn't done most of the season. Understandably, because he's you know he's sort of dropped in here for week one, so he's been learning, learning on the go.
0: So another week where the Ravens go into halftime with a lead, it looks like we're having a good game, and then it all comes crashing down in the second half. Ben penalties galore, chaos ensuing. Players going. What are your th- overall thoughts on the second half? I think that you're really depressing when you have man flu. I feel. <laughs> aw- <laughs> Do I sound I feel it's, awful? Sorry. Well, especially when you
2: say when you say things like that, it sounds so dark. <laughs> <laughs> if I got a graspy voice,
0: should I be singing?
2: Um, but yeah, it's not good, is it? It's the um, not not your voice, but uh, the oh, the performance so. in the second half. Um, it's it's yeah. It's, it seems like. A sort of loss of composure and, and loss of discipline which seems to just sort of come back and haunt this team and they seem to lose their way and they can't quite find their way out of it um, obviously people going down and getting injured and Makari going out and coming back in doesn't help and you know sort of rocking the line like that and um, you, you know you're going up against a. let's be honest a fairly pitiful Steelers offence as well compared to where they've been in the past and a, a, a QB that's about to announced that he's not coming or he, he kind of has announced he's not coming back so um, I didn't think defensively we played that badly until really right at the end when we gave up that that, that basically we, we looked because we were so gassed because of the short drives from the offence we looked very susceptible towards the end of the game but it, when you give up at that point where were we on points at that point it was uh, about 13 points we'd given up uh, up until the final drive um, when you give up that many points with about five minutes to go, you really should be beating that Steelers team. You probably should have already hung up 25 to 28 points on them at that point. So, um, And I'm not sure what what it is because it, obviously Marlowe didn't get injured till the end. So, uh, But it seemed to be a kind of a regression to the, sort of the stasis that we found ourselves in in Miami where there's just no getting out of it once you get in a funk, especially offensively. Um, and I think it just sort of circles back to a loss of confidence from the lack of effective drives. It goes back to what we were talking about with Lamar losing his way a bit in the vision. And that kind of just sort of finds its way back to the rest of the team uh, where there's a general lack of confidence so we can't get out of these funks. So that's what we found. And and when we got to the last two minutes, I thought, well, that's it. Once the Steelers scored, that is it. There's no way um, that we're going to be able to drive and and tie this game. Um, And then all of a sudden you get a kind of no huddle, hurry up craziness where I think there's a little bit on us finding the necessity to drive and there's a little bit on the Steelers going incredibly soft and it's classic Mike Tomlin as well. I mean, if anyone's going to blow a a lead in the last two minutes, despite all of his, um, up points for Mike Tomlin, it'll be Mike Tomlin. Um, (laughs) so, um, I think there was a, a mixture of both but I, I i was stunned we even got back in it to be honest towards the end of the game um, but uh, it was it, it was an increasingly depressing second half
4: it, it was the ravens killing themselves again it's it's pre-snap pre-snap sorry penalties on the offense You're giving up full starts and you know um just just putting yourself in in really long downs all the time which which is troubling and then the defense gave up that huge play again. They had they had the one breakdown. It cost them a touchdown. And, and in this game, it, it cost them the game. I think um, Anthony Averett's come out today and said it was on him. He didn't get the call. Everyone else is playing it completely as they should be. And he just didn't, he didn't get the call. And he's playing some completely different coverage. Um, he came out, held his hands up, whether he's, he's now seeing himself as the number one and he's sort of taking responsibility on or whether he genuinely was in the wrong, I don't know. But it's, it, it, it's just the Ravens killing themselves. It's not anything Pittsburgh did particularly. Um, there's been a lot of talk about the pass rush and how they didn't get home. If you look at next-gen stats, Ben got the ball out quicker than anyone has all season. So I don't think the pass rush had that much chance to get home. You know, the ball was in his hand and out and he was looking for his wide receivers to make to make plays with with the ball in their hand. So um, it's just, again, just sloppy from
1: the Ravens and, and they're hurting themselves. One thing I did think they, um, one thing I did think they did well with this week, which was a a reasonably promising sign, was I felt the offensive line picked up pressures and stunts better this week. Now, it might seem weird to say that because I think we saw a lot, we saw Lamar under pressure a lot, but I think what we saw was, Lamar was the protection was the offensive line and probably Lamar actually organizing the protection much better they their slide protection was much more effective and we did see free rushes but there was that was by design they were sliding to protect a certain way and allowing a free rusher and then that was on Lamar to to either know beat the free rusher and and send him on his way in a kind of matador way or to get the ball out quickly and behind that free rusher there's plenty of strategies you can use but I felt that Lamar wasn't really um effective with that free rusher in his face there were a number of times and I don't just mean on the final play um when TJ Watt gets in his face I think there was a lot of other a lot of other times where he sort of didn't quite commit to one th- one strategy or another for when that free rusher came at him so i did feel like they did better in terms of the offensive line as a whole as a cohesive unit and um, dealing with those stunts and pressures a little better on the flip side of that as ben's already alluded to you know this isn't a very good Steelers team and they aren't a very good blitzing team they don't blitz very often and they don't blitz very well against other teams so you you kind of they're, they're very um they're very who they are in terms of their blitzing. They will, if they blitz and they use a zone blitz, it's usually off uh, off the edge from a, from a safety or a defensive back. It's usually Terrell Edmonds or it's Devin Bush coming up the middle. Uh, there's not a lot of variety to their blitzes. So you can't really give them too much credit for that. But I do think it was a better performance in that perspective.
4: A lot's been made of that free Russia, James. And um, this isn't something new. This is something the Ravens have allowed to happen for as long as Lamar's been in there. And they've sort of banked on the fact that Lamar's good enough to see that free Russia make a move get away from him and then obviously you're up in the numbers game that's I'm not making that up am I that's that is- no
1: no absolutely that's and it, it's and it's a valid strategy it's one that you know when especially with uh people think it's crazy you're leaving T.J. Watt unblocked but actually T.J. Watt's probably going to beat anybody we've got one-on-one anyway so it's a valid strategy to leave him unblocked and have the most dynamic player in the NFL beat him um it just he he it just didn't work and I think it's that same thing about trying to do too much he just didn't commit to one way he didn't commit to stepping up and and rushing you know running the ball he didn't commit to the way he you know the way he beats that free rusher and it just it sort of got caught in two minds often and, and then it, it led to a sack
0: okay we've sort of touched on it a little bit but let's really address it now Shane I'll come to you first the two-point conversion attempt. Should we have gone for it? And was it the right call?
3: Yeah, I think it probably was the right call. I think we should have gone for it. I I tend to believe Harbor's explanation that once Marlon had gone out of the game, um, the chances of us being able to stop that Steelers' offense from going down the field and scoring a touchdown were significantly slimmer. They'd got 17 points in the fourth quarter. So if they win the toss they'll almost certainly score a touchdown without the Ravens touching the ball. If the Ravens win the toss, that drive that you saw to tie the game is probably not going to happen in overtime because the Steelers had gone into a sort of prevent for some reason. I mean, they'd been getting pressure on Lamar. They'd been able to, to stop him up to that point. But in the way a lot of teams do, inside two minutes, they suddenly decide to not do anything risky and end up getting slowly pushed down the field. They would have gone back to their functional defense in that um overtime period and probably would have stopped the ravens moving the ball so if you're then in a position where the current stats are like it's 50-50 for a two point conversion basically so you're then in that that position where you're putting it on a coin flip and um you get to choose the play you get to choose a play that you think is going to work and it was a play that was working it's just the ball was just very slightly out of reach it was you know the the play call was fine the Execution was just a little bit off, so I think it's one of those things, but yeah, I think it's. It, I think it was a good decision. Um, it's one of those things where it just didn't work out, and sometimes that happens. Is there anyone
0: in the room who doesn't think it was a good decision? We're all in agreement that we, we put us all in that situation, we're all going for two there, yeah.
4: I, I think if you if you watched the Kansas City game and you agreed with them going for it on fourth and what was it fourth and 1 from our own 30 if you thought that was a good decision and obviously it, it paid off then you can't have any complaints going going for two on this decision i i just don't see how you can
2: I agree. I think that it's the way that Harbour coaches anyway. I mean, I think before we even learned about the lack of CBs, I mean, I was uh, screaming at the TV, go for two, go for two, um, because you just feel that at that point as well, there's no better time to potentially win the game. Momentum was on the Ravens' side. They'd just driven down the field and tied it up. Um, And for all the reasons given, I agree completely, Shane, that they'd have most likely shut us down uh, offensively if we had won the coin toss. Um, and it's what Harbaugh does. I mean, he's, he's known for, you know, he trusts his players. That That, that is also a vote of confidence, that call in, in Lamar and the offense saying, I believe you can get it done. Now, it didn't work out, but let's be honest, more times than not over the last three years, calls like that from Harbaugh have worked out. So you sort of live by the sword, die by the sword to an extent, but I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think you have to judge the momentum of the game um, regardless of Humphrey being out, Harbor did judge it and he made the right call in going for it. And you know, if, if that had been, you know, a little closer to Andrew's hands, we're all just saying, I can't believe... I, th- I felt we were playing with house money at that point. I thought, yeah. let's go for two because, you know, we frankly don't deserve to win this game. <laughs> so there you go. That, the momentum point is really key, isn't it, Ben? I think
1: I, my thoughts went back to, I think it was the Colts game where it went into overtime and it looked onto the sideline and... Um, and when, when we knew, when we won the coin toss, Lamar went, it's over. And I felt that when he said that, because I was like, yeah, I think it is over because we've just been steamroller in them the last, the last few, the last few drives. It just felt like they just could not stop us at that point, And it was going to be the same thing in overtime. It, to me, it felt the other way around with the, with the yeah. Steelers. It felt like that was going to happen in overtime that they, if, even if they didn't win, even if, like we've said, even if they didn't win the toss, they'd have got the ball back and just, and, and taking it down the field—that's how it felt. I don't know whether that's just the pessimist in me, but it did feel like that.
4: There's been a lot of talk about the actual play call and should it have worked? Wouldn't it have worked? The the absolute best breakdown I've seen, and we had him on the podcast what about a month ago, was Cole Jackson. It's on YouTube. It's ten minutes long. Ten minutes out of your day, go and watch it. It's a fantastic breakdown of, you know, of of the play call and everything that's going on. And I've seen I've seen so much on Twitter this this week from people who. Think they know what they're looking at, and and I'm the same. I I you know look at it and I think, well, God, what's going on here? Cole's ten minute breakdown. That's all it is. Go and find it on YouTube. It's it's fantastic.
2: I've got a question for you. Do you think Dennis Pitter would have made that catch?
4: Fuck, <laughs> would have probably thrown
1: it <laughs> close uh, to not, him. <laughs> depends. Depends what had happened with his hip the previous season. <laughs>
3: I mean, I think Andrews if Andrews had carried on at a steady pace away from the line, he would have made that catch. It was just one of those things where the timing was just slightly off. Yeah. But I don't think you can really blame Lamar for it. I don't think you can blame Mark Andrews for it. It just just didn't sync up. That's no. just that that's it.
0: Ben, you've managed to get an upgrade pack for Madden 2004 and it's got the current Ravens roster on. Now that's a throwback joke to an interview that you're going to hear in five minutes, but you'll get the joke later. So you managed to get the upgrade pack. So you've got this year's Ravens roster on it. Given the night that Lamar had had and his end zone interception, is that the play you call or are you calling QB dive and just letting the O-lineman block, keep the ball in Lamar's hands, pick a gap and go? I'm I'm calling you know, because
2: they're all expecting at that point the QB dive, and and I think they were, they were playing all out to block Lamar. So I think the play call, as others have said, was bang on. I mean, if you can get your best player in space with five yards to complete a touchdown catch, you go for that, and they did. They they, they schemed him into space. Um, they just didn't execute. So I I I think that was it was there was nothing wrong with the play call
4: according to next gen stats mark andrews was in 4.4 yards of space which in nfl terms is is cavernous that's huge you know there's there's no one around him what one thing i wanted to ask anyone know we've lamar jackson's our quarterback you'd expect from that close that a uh, two point conversion should be you know should be pretty easy for us anyone know the ravens conversion rate on two point conversions last 10 how many have they
0: converted It's pretty high, isn't it? Eighty seven (laughs) percent. I think I think it's fifty. Right down the middle.
4: Thirty three percent. Really? Three
0: out of ten. Which which
4: which is below league average.
3: And two of those were against the Colts, presumably.
0: Yeah. Two of the three. Yeah, we we obviously we're, this podcast has always been a we're big Lamar Jackson believers and we we're a supportive podcast of the team. We're not here for hot takes, but in that situation, I don't want Lamar passing the ball. I want it in his hands and use his legs. And Greg Roman's offense is based around all these clever runs. I mean, the free that sort of um, the Freeman run that we'd seen earlier, just run that again the opposite way Do, you know what I mean just, just stay keep to the floor with the night he'd had and the errant throws and everything we've talked about about him been in his head I, I don't want to see Lamar Jackson throwing the ball in that situation but okay let's get into the news before I get even sadder than I already am um, this isn't going to get any better guys no, <laughs> no, no, no. no it's not. I haven't played the sad music yet should will play the sad music as we go into the news where is it here we go <laughs> the reason that the Ravens elected to go for two as John Harbaugh said is Marlon Humphrey Shane is out for the season and Anthony Averett is our starting corner the aforementioned Anthony Averett, who didn't know what play we were in and gave up a long touchdown yeah. that's not good news when, you, when you announced Averett a starting corner couldn't you have changed the soundtrack to dun 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh wah, wah. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be
3: it's going to be Averett and Westry um, You know, two players with with talent. They're, they they've got upside, but they are both mistake bright, um, and they've both made significant mistakes in in the time that they've had this season. So, when you look at some of the wide receiver groups that we've got coming up, I don't feel terribly optimistic about those being our those being our cover guys.
1: And, and that's the key thing, isn't it? I think we, the, the real problem is that you've now lifted so many of our veterans, so many of our organizers out of the back of that defense. You know, people forget we lost LJ Fort before the season, who was a big veteran guy and presence in the middle. And then when you take out Marlon and Peters and even Elliot to an extent, you know, we just, you've lost so many veterans on the back there that as talented as Westry and Averitt are, I worry about their ability to, to work together as a unit, given that this this unit just doesn't know each other. They just don't know who each other are, really. You know, they've not played together at all, really. Do, do
4: we think Wink will have to change uh, a little bit of his philosophy now? Do we think, you know, obviously Stevens is playing, starting at, at safety. He's a, he's a rookie. You've got Averett in his first real year starting. Westry has played a handful of games. Is, is Wink going to have to change up what, what he's doing? Can, can he change?
3: Well, I think he has been already. I think if you look at um, who the, who's the who been rushing the passer and who's been pressuring, there's a lot less of defensive backs and safeties doing the rushing over the last few weeks. And I think that's been a reaction to some of these um, miscommunications that he's had. He's kind of decided, okay, I'm going to let the defensive backs predominantly stay as, as defensive backs um, and do maybe a little bit more... Uh, so the sort of safe coverage over the top of a more traditional pass rush. I reckon we'll see more of that.
2: I mean, I think, hey, I think. Uh, sorry, I was, sorry. I was, I was just going to say that um, latching onto your point, Shane, it does put a lot more, oh, not pressure, but um, urgency on the likes of Tyus Bowser and, and Owe to actually step up to another level. To be able to create national uh, t- natural pressure on the QB, certainly when when they call, you know, Tyus number to uh, to blitz and no way just to be on it every every game because we're going to have to rely so heavily on getting QB pressure in a more traditional sense. Um, so that they don't have the time to um, necessarily pick apart the uh, the corners. Then that's that's probably going to be our biggest issue. But who knows? Maybe it'll act as an incentive for those guys to step up. Looking on the positive side, not that they haven't been good great already, but you know.
4: Other than Lamar, would there have been a worse injury the Ravens could have sustained?
0: Um, KK Dobbins, um, (laughs) Marcus Peters, (laughs) uh, Ronald Stanley, uh, just a few names off the top of my head.
1: (laughs) I think um, the challenge with with the structure of the defense is, number one or two challenges actually number one Westry and averett the little I've seen of Westry and what I've seen of Averett, these guys are better in man coverage and um, they're not they're not really built yet to do much zone so you can't really adjust too much the the kinds of coverage we run on the back end and um, which which can be difficult because they're not as talented in man coverage as as Marlon Humphrey um and then the other the other thing that's a, that's difficult is if you do transition more away from blitzing and more towards putting more people back in coverage and and allowing sort of away and bowser to go get it a little bit more and houston uh the the prop the challenge you have with that is you probably sacrifice a little bit of your run defense because these guys play run first and that's because the defense is predicated on bringing pressure from other, other areas of the field. And so if you're asking them to, to do more as a pass rusher, you're, you're in effect asking them to do less as a run defender. So it, it does sort of start to compromise other aspects of the defense. And I think one of the big, one of the major plus points of the defense so far has been the run defense. And has been the the edge setting from the from the edge players and particularly the backside pursuit from guys like Owe. Um, you just can't run a backdoor bend um zone runner on us because if you hesitate for even a split second, Owe's gonna smash you from behind. So I think it, it just sort of it starts to compromise the whole defense if you start to change it too much. So I'd I'd worry if we if he moved away from it um a, a massive amount, but I do agree with you Shane I think they they have to adjust in some way um I'm just it, not sure what that is yet
3: it might be as simple as keeping the cornerbacks in in man and just playing cover two over the top and and just kind of yeah you, you sacrifice a lot doing that obviously because you've you've lost that scope to bring safeties down into the box or you know, play around with with where you're positioning guys. But it may well be with the, the lack of experience and the lack of experience from Stevens, who will be playing the other safety position, that you do maybe have to be a bit more cautious. But that said, Wink and cautious are not two terms that go together. So I expect him to take some risks, and we'll see how that pans out.
0: So we've also lost Patrick McCarry for a little bit of time. I don't think we've got any solid news as to how long... Don't believe it's season ending, but I also don't believe it's just a little bit of a niggle. But James, on the other side of that, we do have John James practicing. We didn't know whether we'd get him this season, but it's trending somewhat in the right direction there. <laughs> yes and no. So the only
1: thing I'd say about that is that it really wasn't expected that he would come back this season. Like really, not expected that he would come back this season. That's why he was cut. Um, I think it was Denver. Was it Denver who caught him? I think yes. so. I, that's I'd be, and we've already seen this season that they brought Wolf back to practice. And then he was, he was put back on IR for the rest of the year. So I don't necessarily think this means we're going to see him. I, it maybe it will. Um, and maybe he comes, he comes through great through practice. But this for me was the window where you would elevate him. You would bring him back to see if he could. Because if you don't bring him back now, what's the point? You know, this is, this is the point at which to try. I think we'll, it'll, it will at least be another two, three weeks. I think he's got three weeks. So it will be the end of the window when he's activated, at which point Makari may be back anyway. So I'm not necessarily sure this is, this is the, the silver lining. I think we're going to see Tyree Phillips at right tackle for the next few games. And then I think Makari will be back. And I think we'll see James next season, but you never know. You never know.
0: Okay, before we go to the interview, we've got an interview this week with Laura from the Ravens, who looks after us guys in the UK Ravens, she looks after fan development and activation, and now know that after interviewing her on Monday, thankfully, instead of a Browns fan, because no one needs to hear from two Browns fans within three weeks of each other. So before we get to Laura's interview, let's, Ian, let's just touch on Rashad Bateman, You're you and Shane, I guess are the social media guys. He looks like he's gonna be one of these guys who causes a few problems on the old Twitter Instagram Snapchat. I
4: TikTok. I don't think he is. I, either I'm reading this wrong or I, you know, I've been doing the Twitter a long time. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe I've I've been making an idiot of myself, but um so I, I don't do Instagram. It's it's pretty well known that I'm too old for that. I don't know what's going on. Um but Rashad Bateman changed his agent this week and his Instagram went went through this whole makeover. Everything Ravens got taken down and and Ravens Twitter blew up and, you know, it was the end of the world. Bateman wants to leave. He's already forcing his way out. He got zero targets against the Ste well, one target I think against the Steelers, didn't he? Which maybe wasn't even meant for him. Um that's it. He he definitely wants I he hates Greg Roman, he hates Lamar Jackson. He he you know, he's gonna force his way out. And um about 10 minutes after all this happened, he reposted a load of pictures of himself wearing Raven's gear and, and all sorts. I think it was just a, a sort of rebranding done by his publicist or whatever it is. And it was all a big, a big nonsense about nothing, really. I, don't, I can't really understand what everyone was getting upset about.
2: I've had a busy week. Is that literally the sum total of the entire story? That's it?
4: As, as much as I can gather from it, yes. Ga- I mean, Gaz is up with his Instagram. Maybe he'll tell me I'm you know, I'm, I'm completely wrong. There's I
2: also just, a picture on a beach where he's got
0: a photo of Greg Roman giving the double bird. Do you, do you see that <laughs> one? I've just seen people talking about it on Twitter and in the WhatsApp group and, Ben, I'm surprised you do not see it on the Facebook group. It's just something people are talking about, and I thought it was Pete, worth addressing. In I thought so, so the Nazis it. and like Coldplay I, guys. Uh, yeah,
2: I didn't do, did do the deep dive. I just I, it seemed to be another irrelevance, so I kind of didn't study it closely. I thought, well, there's probably more to it than that. I've seen your summary, but I thought there must be more to it than that. But uh, I guess there isn't. So it's complete. You, it's people with too much time on their hands speculating over nothing. <laughs>
1: And it also, it, it, like the immediate things you do when you look at it is think, okay, he's in the middle of his first year of what could be a five year yeah. contract. He has zero leverage. Yeah. Even if worst case scenario, he wants to leave. He isn't leaving for at least another two years. I mean, so. he's, he's
2: played, what, six full games now? And, and seven. seven. Seven full games. And also his first, whatever it was, 12 catches or 15 catches were all first downs. You can't ask for much more. You know, he a real nice splash as a, as a rookie. Yes, he's had a couple of down games, but uh, ah, it's give me a well,
4: break. While, while we're doing stats then, we did the we did the two-point conversions earlier. Anyone want to guess how far down the list you have to go to find Bateman in targets? How, who, who leads the Ravens in targets? Any, any ideas? Andrews. It must be Mark Andrews, not Andrews. Brown. Andrews, really? Wow. Yeah, Marquise Brown's got 99. Andrews has got 98. Oh. How, far, how, far, <laughs> how far further down the list do you have to go before you hit Bateman?
3: Uh, I reckon he's next. I reckon there's
0: two, two between him. Uh, Sa- Sammy Watkins
4: is next, 46. Mm. Ba- Bateman's got 39. So he's fourth in, in line. He's played seven games. Five you know, five, six targets a game. You look at the, the rookie wide receivers who are leading the league in targets, you've got uh Waddles getting about eight targets a game and Jamar Chase is getting seven. You know, he's he's not far off these guys and he missed the entire preseason. You know, he's had a couple of quiet
0: games. You you're gonna have them. Is that just fans expecting too much because he came out and had such a splash in his first couple of games and now he's having that I think the I'd heard the Bengals say it about Jamar Chase where he's almost earned the respect of opposing defensive coordinators. Now, I'm not saying that Bateman is the same as Jamar Chase, but maybe he's getting schemed. James, maybe you can tell us that if you've been watching the tape. Is he getting schemed against a bit more because they know they're going to throw his way when we're looking for a first down? No, he's not getting schemed against, um, he's actually open a
1: lot more than he's being thrown to currently. So right. it's one of the areas where Lamar, because the, the, the challenge is he's running a lot of, as the X, he's running a lot of timing routes he's running those like I mentioned before those comebacks he's running the digs and he's getting open but Lamar just isn't hitting him because he's not hitting on all cylinders at the moment um and so I do think he's been a little bit of a product I don't think it's that Lamar doesn't trust him or anything like that I think it's just um they're not connecting at the moment uh but I do see the same things from Bateman that I've seen in the first few games where he's getting open he's his processing is at a very high level. He's getting in DB's blind spots. He's doing everything you'd want him to be doing, and uh, and I still think he shows potential. I just don't think he's he's um, in sync with Lamar at the moment.
3: The change is definitely in Lamar, isn't it? It's this. I mean, there's an element of defenses deciding that the Ravens' running game is nothing to worry about, so that they are um, they are defending the pass a bit more. But but it's it's this timing issue with Lamar and this desire to sort of hold on and see if he can get something to happen and I think um uh I imagine just the sense I get from the sort of person Lamar is I imagine he talks to his receivers about this I imagine he's acknowledged that yeah sorry I'm not I'm not getting the ball to you when I should on certain plays I it's it seems like it would be early for Bateman to be having a big tantrum about this.
2: Well apparently they they were all talking to Lamar on Sunday. There was it was reported on the TV coverage that you know that literally you know nearly everyone on offense was going up individually to talk to him just saying chill out or look at this look at that, you know. So um I think they're all in pretty good communication and uh,
1: What, what Bateman does really well is he get, he feels for the soft spot in zone coverage extremely well. He's really good against zone. And it's one of the first things that would go in terms of a connect, if you are off in terms of connection, because Lamar has to, has to see that, see it open and, and throw it. It's, it's not necessarily something that comes, is, is a thing that's going to come well to a, to a quarterback throwing against a heavy underneath zone. Bayman's re- still feeling really well for those holes he's adjusting his route slightly to be able to to get into those holes but Lamar's just not connecting with him the, the other thing I'd say is Lamar like there's been a lot said about Lamar's sort of trust in his receivers and I think like we've said before he's trying to do it do too much he's trying to put it all on himself put it all on his back he's taking responsibility but I think the the thing that that people should remember is if you go back I, I watched an awful lot of Lamar's tape from last season, um, because I was doing um, a project on him through the Scouting Academy, which I did over the summer. And I watched a lot of his tape. And one of the things you see if you watch a lot of his tape is you see him really want to trust his receivers. There were times when Miles Boykin was specifically and clearly, even without knowing the play, responsible for an interception that he threw. He would be clearly responsible for it. And the next play, the very next play from scrimmage, Lamar would force a ball into Boykin. When he probably shouldn't have done, it was kind of Boykin was bracketed by about three guys in a load of traffic, and he forced it into him because he wanted to to build that guy's confidence. He wanted to show that he tr- that he trusted him, and he wanted to trust him. So I do think he kind of wants to get that with his receivers. I don't think it's like an inherent mistrust of those guys. I think it's just a massive combination of lots of different factors that lead him to to to, to this outcome
0: that we're seeing at the moment. Okay, good stuff, guys. Let's get to the interview with Laura Humphreys from the Ravens who's going to talk to us about what she does and about how lucky we are to be Ravens fans in the UK because of all the cool stuff we get from them where other teams don't. So we'll go to that interview now and then we'll pick this back up on the other side. <laughs> So the last thing our listeners need is a Browns fan on within two weeks of each other. So instead of our regular guest of bringing in a UK Browns fan, we are very pleased to be joined by Laura Humphreys, who works for the Baltimore Ravens. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you come to work with the Ravens?
5: Yeah, uh, right out of college, really, um, when I was in school, University of Maryland, uh, I I knew I'd always wanted to do something in sports. Uh, that was kind of you know in my my brain for a while. I actually wanted to be an athletic trainer. I was the uh, student athletic trainer for the football team at Maryland, and thought that was kind of where I would end up. Um, but just kind of you know realized I don't know that that was really for me. Uh, the time commitment one is is ex- extensive. Um, you're there way before the team and way le- way after they leave. Um, so. I was kind of looking into some different options and was actually in a class had to do a, a project, uh, basically a a informational interview with somebody in an industry that I had, you know, interest in, in pursuing. And I happened to, um, my mom happened to work with a woman, uh, at a local high school here in Baltimore and her daughter was actually employed by the Ravens, uh, in the corporate sales team. So, I interviewed her, she told me about the opportunities for internships, Um, so when the time came after graduation, you know, they had, uh, that position was available and, you know, did the whole interview process and was lucky enough to be selected. Um, From there, it's really just been kind of a crazy uh, adventure. Um, I actually got a full-time position um, in corporate sales with the 49ers, Um, so I left Maryland, left Baltimore for a couple years and worked for them. Uh, and then was fortunate enough to get the opportunity to come back home uh, in 2010 to to rejoin the Ravens. Uh, and then since then, I'm kind of made that switch over to marketing. So um, great timing on my part. I was on the winning side of the Super Bowl. So um, that was a bit of a crazy weekend for, for me. But um, it's been great to be back. You know, I'm born and raised here. So it's, it's really a dream, a dream come true.
3: Yeah, that's pretty cool. No? You would have known people on both sides of that Super Bowl then, so uh, mm-hmm. interesting game to to be involved in. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to work for the Ravens and, and also more about, about what your job is and what you do.
5: Sure. Uh, working for the team is great. Um, the culture that they've built here is uh, second to none. Um, I've experienced one personally myself uh, and obviously have just over the years met plenty of Uh, other people within the industry that you know work for other teams and you know we obviously think we're pretty great um we're treated really great and you know just the things that we do are, are first class but when you when you hear it from your peers around the league um that you know have really no incentive for for telling you this this kind of stuff of how much they respect the organization both you know the coaching side and you know business front office um it's really an honor um so to be here as long as I have, uh, feels pretty darn lucky. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the team of my employee or my fellow employees are our family. Um, you know, we work a lot of long hours. Um, so it's a work hard, play hard type of situation, but, um, you know, we all really get along and, and enjoy coming to work every day. So that part of it's great. Um, I know you guys have heard about the culture as well, so I'm not really, you know, telling you guys something that you've never heard before. Um. But it's it's been pretty great. You know, I, I wouldn't still be here for as long as I have if if it wasn't uh, true.
3: Absolutely. So your and your role ties into kind of why we've invited you on this week. But we'll we'll come to that um, in a moment. Tell us a little bit about about what you do day to day.
5: Sure. Um, so I'm on the fan development and activation side of the marketing department. Um, the fan development piece is pretty self explanatory, I'd imagine. Um, my, I directly me and my team rather uh, directly oversee a few of our initiatives. Uh, the flock, which is as you guys know, our displaced uh, fan program, uh, and that you know services people or fans that live outside of the Baltimore and Maryland region, uh, which obviously extends over to the UK. Um, and then as well, we also oversee our Purple Fridays program. Uh, what, what else? Purple. Uh, I've had a hand in kind of jumpstarting our. Or getting our toes in the water of the esports uh, world, which has been a huge learning uh, curve for me. I do not game, so it's been uh, <laughs> a big uh, learning curve for me. But um, super exciting stuff. So that's kind of the fan development piece, uh, and then the activation side is. Um, I work very closely with our corporate sales team. So where my my former experience obviously lends itself very well to to this current position. Uh, but kind of I, I kind of refer to us as consultants for them. Um, they'll meet with us, you know, prior to deals getting done. And we try to just match up our potential partners, current partners with, you know, marketing initiatives and programs that, you know, we think that they would just mesh well or be mutual, mutually beneficial. Um, so then also kind of just helping them maintain and fulfill a lot of those sponsorship contracts as well. So um, it definitely keeps things interesting. Uh, no day is really the same. Um, I do have a ton of meetings, but, uh, you know, The the favorite part is really kind of that challenge of me trying to think up a new idea for for team partners uh, and or, you know, kind of that challenge, right? Like, let's come up with something new that we know that they're looking for that we can do together. So that's pretty cool.
2: Okay, Laura, well, if you have a need... Someone for your esports team that's good at Madden 2004. Just give me a call because I, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I remember you know, Don, 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 I like. Donovan McNabb <laughs> on the cover on the original Xbox. I'm I'm your guy on that one, Kyle. Kyle, like Kyle, Kyle Bowler at quarterback. Um, okay, so um, you've 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 obviously touched on there that you um, you deal with um, uh, sort of fan groups outside of Baltimore, and that's you know how how many of us came to know you and thank you on the record here for being so spectacular uh, with all of us and looking after us and sending us lots of lovely swag and making sure that uh, uh, we're engaged with the team we do feel that and we thank you for it. Um, uh, you know since you started in 2010 could you tell us a little bit more about uh, the kind of the growth of the flock uh, outside of Baltimore and a little bit about the uh, sort of various fan groups that you deal with outside of the city?
5: Sure. Yeah, it's, um, first of all, it's my pleasure. Um, I love being able to work directly with so many of our fans that live elsewhere. Um, it's been a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, the uh, it, back in 2010, we really didn't start a lot of the research for this program until I started a marketing, I think, in 2014. So I had been back for a while but hadn't actually moved over to the marketing side. And I think there was just kind of this general... Thoughts or understanding that um, our fans were just local to Baltimore. Um, We're a small market team. We're, you know, sandwiched between uh, Philadelphia and and Washington. So, you know, two major markets. We're just South of New York. Um, So we kind of just had this thought that, Oh, you know, there's other bigger teams that have been around longer um, that our fan base hasn't really been able to grow that much. Um, And I think the, the first club or chapter rather that we kind of woke our or uh, opened our eyes to was the West wing LA. Um, one of our former employees, you guys might remember him, Mike Duffy. Um, he had left the team in the middle of the season and moved to LA for a great opportunity. And I think within a couple of weeks, he was telling us about this West wing and our minds were just blown because like, they're all, you know, 3000 miles away, opposite coast. Like, um, this is kind of crazy, but I think the um, it kind of just started. The wheels were turning, and and we're like, you know, there's got to be other other groups like this out there. So it really just kind of went for to us being on Facebook. Um, my co- colleague Adam had a huge role in finding a lot of these first initial groups, um, and just kind of you know word kind of spread from there. So we really saw just the number of them um, met with them, you know, a few times before we got the program really started just to kind of say like, you know, what do you want from the team? You know, is this something that would be beneficial to you? Or are we just kind of, you know, doing this just to say that we did. Um, so that was super helpful um, and got the program kind of up and running. And now, you know, everything's, we've got a dedicated page on the site. Um, we've now done flock parties, as you guys know, we did um, the one in London in 2017 uh, and we've done a few in the, uh, the, across the country here as well. So that's been um just really cool. And I think when we first started, I think we probably have maybe found 20 to 25 chapters. Uh, and now we've grown to well over 65, um, across the country. And I think there's maybe 15 to 20, um, outside of the U S, which is kind of just mind blowing. Um, and just, you know, continuing to find, to discover new chapters. It's been pretty fun. I think we've haven't had a year since we started this, that we haven't added at least, you know, a handful of new cities, um, two to that list and uh, we're now doing, you know, anywhere from two to three flock parties on the road um, every season, which is just so cool. Um, and we'll get, you know, anywhere from 100 to 300 people attending those, those Friday, or Saturday evening pep rallies. So not quite what we had at the Admiralty in London. I think we calculated that one night to be about a thousand fans, which was just <laughs> out of control. Um, and uh, I don't know that any other team has touched that uh, according to the people we've talked to. So. Uh, it's been a
0: lot of fun. Yeah, just to, just a to second. What Ben said, we are really thankful for what you guys do, and you should know we all have fan, we all have friends who are fans of other teams, and we feel so lucky to to have you guys because no other teams really seem to be doing this like you guys are, and if they are, they're certainly not doing it as well. I mean, one of the highlights to come out of lockdown was we did the virtual tailgates and we did the virtual quizzes, which obviously we had like us UK fans against the uh, Canadians and the West mm-hmm. Wing, and it, it was so it was so good to be involved with these international um, fan groups and fan groups further afield from Baltimore. Are, are they just a nice bonus for the team, or is this something that is is part of a bigger plan to to really increase the fan base? Um, I mean, it's
5: definitely a nice bonus, but you know, I think it's also strategic right you know um that's one of our main uh department goals every year is to grow the fan base um you know there's only so many people that live in baltimore and maryland and you know there's a team right you know further south that have been here for you know 75 plus years um so we've got that to compete with um so kind of where where are those other opportunities to find new fans um and we know they exist right like we've very fortunate to be extremely successful in a short 26 years um that we know those fans are out there um so how do we you know kind of connect with them and get them to games and that's ultimately the goal right we want our our stadium to be full every every sunday um but you know and how do we do that you know and it's kind of i like to see it or say that you know True. Are we going to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on fans who don't live here and don't come to every single home game? No, of course not. Um, But, you know, we kind of get them connected to the team on a deeper level. They're going to want to come home or come to Maryland, come to Baltimore for the weekend. I know, Ben, you just got back uh, from doing that um, from the UK. So, you know, kind of putting in those good faith gestures that, you know, hope A, just keep them fans forever Um, And then, you know, obviously there's always revenue side to things too, that they'll come into town every year and buy tickets to a game. Um, So, you know, there's a little selfish strategy in there, of course, but um, I think just, you know, just maintaining that connection of the team to the fan, I think is just so important. Um, And you're right. I think a lot of teams don't value that. Um, I think they are, they want their, their season ticket holders to be their top priority, which a lot of times they are, and they are for us. There's definitely, there's no hiding that. Um, but that there is value to, and just, you know, again, keep creating those connections with your fans that don't necessarily live here and, and can't come to every single game.
3: And even when they can't come, as Gaz is demonstrating, they buy the Christmas jumpers and wear the Christmas exactly. jumper. Exactly, yes. Our <laughs> listeners can't see it, but Gaz is wearing a very fetching um, Baltimore Ravens Christmas jumper and he's always in different I'm not Ben and I often wear Ravens merchandise when we're recording the podcast but Kaz is always in something different so he's he's keeping the store going by himself I, think. I love it I've
0: had something, I think i
3: something different on every podcast as well I've I really, think so yeah really yeah. got
0: quite a large collection <laughs> to go through <laughs>
5: it's impressive it's impressive
3: um so one of I think one of the highlights for for a lot of Fans here in the UK of this season has been uh, the fact that um, one of our earlier meetups ended up on an official Ravens video from from the Lions game, which was amazing because there were it was you know we have WhatsApp groups and we have people following on Twitter and people in Facebook and there genuinely were fans who were surprised that the Ravens knew about us and so it was mm-hmm. very exciting to kind of not just be um, be welcomed, but be in that video. And we have um, our next meetup coming up this Sunday, which is why we thought this would be a great week to have you on. Um, Cassie was a guest on the podcast earlier in the season, and it was interesting to hear her say that... Um, her work is very different depending on the results of the game. Hmm. So um, she has much longer days if it's a win because she's got loads more stuff to do. And uh, if it's a defeat, things go quiet much more quickly because people don't really want to hear so much about the game. Uh, How's the season been for you? And and do you have a kind of rhythm like that where the results of the games affect how your work pans out?
5: Um, Not really. Um, I think with Cassie, because it's, you know, social media it's you know it's so ingrained into everything that we do these days um and is really how we communicate with the fans mostly um and they can communicate right back with us so um (laughs) which they they do Uh, i always feel bad for them uh the day after a loss especially one like that to the steelers um it just can't be pretty about what people are saying uh those keyboard warriors out there but um you know we're not as directly impacted. Um, Obviously, if we've got, you know, we do some non-game events throughout the year. Um, Most of them, you know, have already completely been completed. And we obviously are, you know, got to start putting together plans for a potential playoff run. Um, So that's probably the most direct way of how kind of wins and losses really affect our group, Um, just as far as, well, how early can we start planning for playoff events? And, you know, we also want to be sensitive to know that there's, team partners and other people out there that want no business of hearing that word until, you know, it's really kind of a sure thing. Um, So that's kind of the, you know, uh, the biggest probably, you know, factor of it. Um, Obviously fans are in much better moods after a win. Um, But I think just in general, you know, our ticket office probably gets, you know, if not the second or the most, they get the second most amount of, uh, you know, complaints, all that kind of stuff. When the team's winning, everything's great. The food's awesome. There, there were no lines at <laughs> bathrooms. Um, you know, all of that stuff is it's all just great. Um, but if you lose, then everything's terrible. Um, so yeah, that's... Our group specifically doesn't have to deal with that directly as much, but we obviously see it and hear it um, from plenty of other people and I definitely sympathize with them. Um, but I think everybody's job is easier uh, when we win.
3: And for you personally, do you get to enjoy the games and, and follow the season or are you doing a lot of work while that stuff is on and, and don't get to focus as much?
5: For home games, I'm kind of running all over the place. Uh, so I don't get to see quite as much of home games. Uh, there'll be little stretches in between, you know, when I'm waiting for a, a commercial break, but I, I help a lot with our getting our fans, uh, that are part of promotions. Um, when we've got a visiting Olympians, you know, we'll, we'll meet them, the pilots that do our flyovers, um, there's a handful of people that are basically on the field kind of directing the production of the game. Uh, so they can't really leave the field. They're in communication with the refs and the people you know, uh, that manage the timeouts, things like that. Um, so they can't be going back and forth like some of the uh, rest of us are able to do. Um, so I'm generally helping with a lot of that. So it's a lot of up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, but it's pretty fun. I've, got, I've actually gotten to meet some pretty... And like amazing people throughout, uh, the years just for, just for that one responsibility. Um, so away games are definitely, um, I wouldn't say less stressful, but less busy for me. Um, so I, you know, I get to sit at home, go to a friend's house, have a beer, you know, uh, and just try to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, it's hard to fully enjoy something that affects your, your business and your, potential income down the road that uh you can't control (laughs) so um (laughs) that part's a little bit um not quite as enjoyable but you know we are all kind of fans at the end of the day too so it is nice to have a little less to do uh work-wise for away games and then um I will travel to a few to do those flock parties and, and stuff like that so I'll actually be in Cleveland this weekend um Wish me
2: luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's it's definitely a one night sort of town, isn't it? So one night, yeah, one yeah, night and yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, um was well, funny you mentioned Cleveland because obviously the um, we were there uh, last week for the Cleveland home game, so uh, that was a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, we did bring over I think twenty UK Ravens. We also ran into the Dutch flock as well, so it's good to see them. That's there. awesome. And then going back yeah. to twenty seventeen, I remember uh, the German flock came over and brought a huge number of people. So um, huge, yeah. It is working the the outreach program. So uh, so well done on that. And uh, and bringing you back to the game this weekend, we are meeting up in uh, in London. It should be probably our Biggest meet ever, actually, um, because yeah, we're done, kind of the Northerners are coming down as well, aren't we, Gaz, um, yeah. to invade <laughs> nice. to the makes, capital city? So, as is tradition, uh, we normally have a an opposing fan on to do this, but as uh, as we don't have that, we'll, we'll we'll get the score prediction from you. Uh, it is uh, non negotiable; you have to give one. So, uh, <laughs> what, what's what's your best shot uh, following? Obviously, last night wasn't too great, but uh, how are you feeling about this weekend's game in Cleveland?
5: Um, I think a couple factors are in our favor. Um, I think just Harbaugh's record for getting our team to bounce back after tough losses is uh, probably up there with some of the best. Um, so that always makes me feel a little bit better. Um, and I feel like the Browns are kind of in a very similar boat to us right now with as many injuries as they've had. Um, they've been kind of struggling. I think, you know, poor Baker Mayfield might actually fall apart, uh, if he gets sacked again. So um, but on the flip side of that, their, their bye week was this weekend. So they're going to have uh, a lot fresher legs than than we do. Obviously, losing Marlon Humphrey is, is just a really tough one. Um, but all of that said, uh, we're going to get the, the win. And I'm probably going to say it's another close one, but I'm going to say 21 to 17.
0: We'll take very it. Good. We'll take it. <laughs> They've all felt like very close ones this year.
5: Uh, they have. I think we've had... <laughs> What was it? The uh, Chargers game is really the only game that we won uh, with a significant, you know, difference, and kind of we're pretty confident in that uh, winning that game for most of the game, um, and then yeah, obviously we lost to the Bengals too in a in a pretty tough route. But yeah, they've all been close for the most part. It's it's crazy. I I mean I don't know if there's ever been a season like this, um, obviously there's been over a hundred some NFL seasons, but uh, I mean, it's, it's just wild. Um, It's nerve wracking, but it's also pretty cool to find a way to win. And um, for the most part, of course, uh, but you know, just kind of keep trucking along. So, you know, it's going to be exciting. That's, that's for sure. Well, maybe a close
0: game will lead to an excellent fan reaction video from the biggest UK Ravens (laughs) meet ever in London. That would
5: be awesome. Yeah, get get, get Cassie on that. Maybe it's our time to shine.
0: (laughs) 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 Excellent, Laura. Thank you very much for joining us. We won't keep you too long. Before we let you get out of here, where can the UK Ravens fans follow along on social media or such?
5: Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously our team channels, uh, which everybody knows, uh, my personal one on Twitter is uh, at Laura underscore Humphreys. Um, so feel free to follow along if you'd like.
0: Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate your time tonight. And no problem. Thanks we'll for having me. See you again, hopefully next season. Sounds great. Excellent. Cool. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate it. Thanks, Laura. Thank you. <laughs> And there goes Laura. So, on the back of the conversation with Laura, it is the Browns game this coming Sunday. And, gentlemen, it is our second UK Ravens meetup of the year, which we're all very much looking forward to, even with a few extra COVID restrictions in place, which don't affect us. We're still going to have a good time. If you didn't hear last week, we've reduced the numbers slightly. Ian, quickly on tickets three or four left if that if that yeah we're, we're really really slim now so yeah. okay so hopefully you've all got your tickets we're not going to do too much of a preview of the Browns game if you want to preview the Browns game if you just listen back to the episode two episodes ago it's all basically the same just if we ever mentioned and Humphrey just missed that bit out and that'll sort of give you an idea of what we're like going into the game we, instead I just wanted to speak to Ben and James who've obviously being away from us for a couple of days, for a couple of days, a couple of weeks and just have a bit of a catch up. Ben, you first, how, how was the Browns game? What was the experience like for you?
2: It was fantastic. I mean, apart from obviously getting the win, um, It was fantastic
0: apart from getting the win.
2: No, no, as well as getting getting the win. Didn't I say that? I don't know about you, James, but I I felt it was was kind of harking back to the sort of 2000s AFC North ding-dongs of kind of ugly mistake-laden football and relatively ineffective (laughs) offence and big defensive hits and turnovers and mistakes, but ultimately beating the Browns, which is what it's all about. And uh, yeah, it was uh, being a night game, yeah, the atmosphere was high octane. Uh, the, I thought the weather over the weekend was great. So it's always nice when you get uh, not too cold, a, a, a sort of late November evening. I thought it was just perfect on the sort of temperatures. Everyone's shivering a bit and they're layered up, but it's not too crazy. Um, the intros were uh, so kudos to the Ravens on the back of what we just spoke with Laura about as far as getting the crowd um, pumped up. Um, I thought the M and C stadium was. As loud as I've heard it since those sort of heady days of the 2000s, I, I thought the crowd were really up for it, um, and yeah, it was it was just a, a great evening. The tailgate was great. They got us on stage for the UK Ravens, so we did a uh, they asked us to do a cheer and we or a leader chant, and we were sort of experimenting backstage was, should we go with kind of like a English football star but they know they won't get that so let's just do Seven Nation Army which is what we en- ended up doing in the end but that was good. And uh, yeah, the whole night was great and there was there was a lot of really, really inebriated people there but n- no one that really got in, in big trouble.
0: Were you, did you manage to brush shoulders with anyone uber famous? Oh
2: yeah, uh, well we did um, run into, I ran into backstage Lacey Ducosta.
0: Literally Who, ran uh, into her.
2: Well yeah, I actually, we were in the uh, very kindly john from jimmy's upgraded us to the vip but she was in the vip vip so luckily i know a guy called tim who's on twitter and um he uh, he kind of uh, rushed me through there to uh, intercept lacey he i think he nearly did literally intercept her he nearly took her out on to to, to have a chat with me and um she was extremely uh, friendly and very receptive to uh, the UK Ravens concept and also very very forgiving of your appalling uh, somewhat <laughs> demeaning impression of her late night chat line <laughs> GM of her husband
0: did, did she actually mention that or is that just a bit you've done for the podcast the first thing I said to her
2: was, "Hi, I'm Ben from the UK Ravens, and I apologise for Gaz's impression of Eric." And she went, oh, that's okay. She used to work in the Boston accent, but that's okay. I thought it was great." Okay, good.
0: <laughs> James, how was your experience?
1: Yeah, uh, it was great. Thanks, Gaz. Yeah, I um, so I was in Chicago uh, the week before as well for the for the game against the Bears, which was great. Uh, I was sat amongst a load of Bears fans who were very nice. Um, in fact, they were very nice to me. They were very offensive to Matt Nagy, but very, very nice to me. Uh, they, uh, we had a lovely time there. I think I, did I mention this? I think on the, on the podcast a few weeks ago when, when Andy Dalton came out, they were all miserable and I was telling them, don't worry. It's all fine. You're going to beat us by 20 now. Um, so that was great to be in Chicago for that. And then I, I like Ben, I know Ben saw a lot of games as well. I went and saw a few more games. I saw um we met up in New Orleans and saw the Saints Bills game and uh, I was slightly different at the Browns game. I didn't go to Jimmy's tailgate. I um Managed to, Having been in New York earlier in the week, I'd managed to see my my good friend Dev Panchoar, um, who uh, works for Russell Street, does loads of writing for Russell Street Report, and uh, I managed to meet up with Mike Crawford in Baltimore on Sunday, who's at Abukari on Twitter, which was great, and I was supposed to be doing a pre-game show at Lee's Pint and Shell, which is a pub in Camden with um Adam Bonacorsi, but they had some major problems with the sound and it didn't it didn't happen in the end. But I got to meet Adam, Anthony Lombardi, which is great, and then go to the game. And and as Ben said, the atmosphere was just amazing. There was um you know the the light show beforehand, the way they um the 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 atmosphere was just out outstanding. And it was great to be a part of it was great to be a part of a proper big night game with lots on the line. Um, against the division rival, which is something I've, I've not experienced when I've been over to Baltimore before. I've always been to sort of games that were, that didn't matter as much. A, a Ryan Mallet led offense getting battered by the Seahawks. And, um, so some grim games I've been to before at M&T. So it was nice to, to have that.
0: How are your flashy bracelets? <laughs> I've still
1: got mine. <laughs> they told you to recycle them oh, and I totally tell forgot. You. Oh so. James,
0: that's shocking.
3: <laughs> the next it, well, time well, they, they do it, th- they'll be like, We've got one missing now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, little oh, girl, you can't have one. Someone uh, we'll put one back oh, to England. Do
2: <laughs> Recycling for the Coldplay concert at the arena next yeah. month. But the um uh, also I must give a, a quick uh mention as well because it was the UK Ravens uh, group tour and we had some guys that hadn't been to Baltimore. So it was really nice to, I, I love showing Baltimore to people that haven't been before. Cause if you listen to this podcast, if you haven't been to Baltimore, it's not the wire. Okay. It's, it's actually a really nice city. And whenever I take people, I, I, I took them for a, the Saturday morning walk where we went past Camden Yards we walked all the way down to Fells Point we walked all the way up to Mount Washington did 20,000 steps uh, by 2pm that day uh, I went up literally up Mount Washington which is 280 steps or something and everyone's going I can't believe how nice this place is I want to live here like, yes I know it's, this is, it's not just a good team it's a really good city, but I must also say hi to Carl and James and other guys from the UK Ravens that do listen to this podcast and told me that I was shocked and told me they to this podcast. So shout out to those guys as well, and I'm glad you enjoy Baltimore.
0: Well, that's the listenership up to seven, then.
1: <laughs> it's a lovely. I think the thing about it, Ben, you've actually lived there, so you probably feel it way more than I do. But even for me, even though I, you know, it's not, you know, I, it's not New York, it's not Chicago, it's not these great cities but it does feel quite i don't know it walk driving past the, the the bank as i went in and and getting to the inner harbor there's just a feeling there that i i do feel it's my kind of us home now i've been there so, a few times and it just it's it is a lovely city um around there and, and the people are fantastic is the other thing I, you know i do i do think that is something to that sets it apart from other cities. You know, there's lots of, in the South, there's lots of, first time I went to the South was this time around, and there's lots of um, lovely people down in the South, and that's great, but I do love it in Baltimore, and and um, yeah, it's a great, it is a great city. I would echo what Ben just said.
0: James, quick fire, game day experience rankings, M&T Bank Stadium, Superdome, Soldier Field, one, two, three. <laughs> that's hard.
1: <laughs>
0: quick well, fire. M&T ba- Evnty Bag is always
1: going to come out number 1 and I tell you what I can also throw I've also been to the new New York stadium as well um in the Meadowland, Meadowlands so that would go at number 2 for me um because they were very nice to me um on the tailgate so I really liked that they were and it's a great tailgate there in uh, Giants well, not Giants stadium anymore uh wow. third is probably the Superdome just cuz I got to see Ben and- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although the Superdome is, is just, it's phenomenal to go. And yeah, see. It is. it's just, it is. it's
0: such a, an amazing yeah thing. Is that is uh, it still the Super, Is it still called Superdome? Is it yeah, it's called not? Caesar's, called... Caesar's Caesar Superdome. Superdome. Yeah. Is Atlanta's yeah. now the Mercedes Superdome? Mercedes Benz Stadium is Mercedes Benz Stadium, there?
2: and then and then it's always been the
0: Superdome.
1: It's just had different sponsors uh, precursing right. it. Mm. it's amazing so I would put that there and then Soldier Field but uh, so I loved Soldier Field as well there's, it's got a beautiful view back to the city um, on one side of Soldier Field and there's loads of history so it was great to see those both those stadiums who have both got both of those have got lots of history to the
2: surprising thing about the Superdome is that the light stayed on for the entire game which was weird <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> not, not during the intros Ben I, I managed to send out a tweet that confused some people <laughs> that's true
0: <laughs> well Ben being the highlight of the Superdome says a lot about New Orleans Okay, let's get on to some Browns predictions then. I'll go first. Ravens 37, Browns 34. <laughs> <laughs> this is the AFC North and anything can happen and we can't stop the ball. Lamar's going to be peeved off. I think this is almost exactly what I said last week, but Lamar's going to be pissed. Um, We can't stop the ball. And we're just, it's going to be a, the complete opposite of what happened two weeks ago high offensive performance we're going to somehow come out with a win because it's the Browns and it's our UK Ravens meet so we can only have an an amazing win at the end where we're going to have a really cool fan reaction video the Ravens are going to post it we're going to be internet celebrities for the night 37-34 Ravens Lamar Jackson two rushing touchdowns that's my prediction and that is not the LEMSIP it might be Ben (laughs) 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 Oh, it's a tough one. I I think
2: he asked me two days ago, I'd definitely have gone doom and gloom, but I simply can't go doom and gloom because we are meeting, I've got my train ticket and it's non-refundable. So (laughs) um, they they have to pull something out of the bag. Uh, I think this is... I'll be honest, I think this is realistically one of our last chances of a win this season uh, with the rest of the the, the uh, schedule coming up. Uh, we're going to really struggle, against, especially against higher-powered offences with the lack of CBs. But luckily, they're not a higher-powered offence, and Baker Mayfield is still struggling. If he is playing, he's battered. They've had a bye week, but... I do still think it's going to be largely the same proposition we were faced with, minus Marlon Humphrey. So I can't see us going that big on the score. I think we still will have some offensive problems, but um, I can see us grinding this one out with a nail-biting, heart-stopping, late Justin Tucker field goal to win it. So I'll take us by three, and I'll go
0: 24-21, Ravens. 24-21, Shane.
3: Well, it's two broken teams. I think a lot of this is going to come down to how much the Browns have healed up in their bye week um, and whether they can turn that into a home field advantage. But I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be... I think it's. I, think I said this with the, the Browns game previously. I could see it going either way. I'm going to say this is going to be a win because I would really like it to be a win for our meetup. I think it's going to be... 16-14 to the Ravens. Um, and I'm going to go completely random and say Anthony Averitt with an interception.
0: Cole? Ian?
4: Oh, I'm glad you've come to me now. I was worried James was going to pick us to win as well. Um, so I asked on Twitter yesterday, I think it was, what, what people thought the the uh, the record would be for the end of the season. And most people were pretty optimistic. 10-7, and 11-6 came out as the most popular and I look at the schedule. I still think ten and seven is doable. Probably the two most winnable games are this week, the Browns, and then the Steelers. The last week, I think we're going to lose. I, I think we're going to lose this game. Um,
0: oh, the podcast is upside uh, down. I don't like this at yeah, all. Yeah,
4: i I just think it it's too much to overcome too soon. I think the wheels might come off this this week. I don't think the Browns are particularly good. I still think we'll finish ten and seven. I think we will beat the Steelers last week. And it wouldn't surprise me if if we do something stupid and beat the Rams. It really wouldn't surprise me. But I'm going to go for a loss this week. And I'm going to go 17-13, which doesn't bode well for our meat either, um, to, to the Browns. I, I don't even want to throw out a player prop because I hope I'm horribly wrong. And it's high scoring and we drink loads of
2: beer. But and do come everyone, to the meat still. Yeah, everyone forgets <laughs> about
1: my idiocy. <laughs> J- James? Uh I, I, so this isn't the game where we're going to lose, where we're going to feel the loss of Marlon Humphrey. This is still not a good passing offense. Um They shut down the run pretty well last time around. I I don't think that, uh I don't think that the Browns, I think the Browns will throw everything at this game though is my concern because it's a, uh, they've had the bye week, had two weeks. They are utterly desperate in the same way that the Steelers are. They have to win this game. So I do think that we're going to lose this game also, and I think we're oh, going to lose no. it twenty thirteen.
4: Oh, no. What well, one quick thing we, we haven't touched on the Browns at all. I have been following their injury report, and really important to the, to the Browns is their tight ends. And one one of them, and on the COVID list. I think, and and the other one they've they've ruled out today. He he won't play with an ankle injury. So I mean that does. Just swing it back a little bit to the Ravens. Ian, we've been burned
0: before thinking we've, we've got a player out to the COVID list. Yeah. <laughs> we've been burned with that before. Okay, so in, in, a, in a picker, what are we taking? The combined points or the combined pints drunk between the combined five of us? Combined drunk <laughs> by a distance.
3: <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I think it's, what, what are we saying? We've capped it at 40 people. No, just the five of us. I'm not. I'm not. Between us, still, still <laughs> combined. <laughs> even, <stream. Yeah. laughs>
2: even so, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Gaz is
4: buying, so definitely. Oh over. god.
0: Well, anyway, okay. Let's get out of here. Um, if you are coming to hang out with us on Sunday, we're all really looking forward to hosting you. We forward to all getting together, having a good chat, and celebrating a thirty-seven to thirty-four win over the Browns where there's going to be many. So that is north of 70 pints that we need to drink between the five of us. So it's going to be quite the evening. Anything else we need to push before we get out of here? It's always been pushing the meetup and that's sort of come around and go, oh, I've launched some new merch. We should talk about that. I've put a few new styles of merch on the site. Um, It is available through Twitter and the Facebook group or through the UK Ravens website linked to that. A couple of new styles have gone on. I've got an absolutely awesome Tyus Bowser one I'm going to launch next week. So if you like Tyus Bowser, I'm going to put an awesome one up there next week. So look out for that. You will not get them in time for Christmas because they are all print on demand. So they do tend to take two to three weeks to come. So don't buy anyone anything for Christmas, but treat yourself after Christmas if you do get any pennies from Santa Claus. (laughs) Okay, let's go. Probably out of here. should have
1: done that plug a couple of weeks ago, Gash.
0: Well, you? I only did put the t shirts on like three days ago. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should have called it out. Of I might do, but I just didn't know that I've won. You Vincent definitely, fe- definitely on well. He didn't even play your Bowser drop then either. Oh, no. No, the t shirts going to be better than the drop. Trust me. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm getting out of here because I feel terribly ill and i am going to go to bed so we will see you next week i don't even know what day it is so we'll see you next week as always if you're going to be on email us by now you should know the email address until next week let's go ravens thank you for listening to the uk ravens podcast this podcast is created
2: hosted, and produced by members of the uk ravens Join the community on social media at ukravens and facebook.com forward slash ukravens.
0: If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To be involved with the
2: show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info,
0: links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com.